Well, it's a first for the Maximizer Medicare podcast. And what's that? I cursed. I literally flew off the handle because, you know, it is very frustrating from my seat to watch the way that everyday people are presented financial products by marketing materials and by other persons who call themselves experts when they don't really understand how the mousetrap is actually built. And so when something changes, it's hard to get the explanation from them because they didn't know how the mousetrap was built to begin. So what does that mean? That means that you're going to be in a bad position and you can't make quick adjustments when something dramatic has changed in the world. Hey, guess what COVID-19 is? Something dramatically has changed in the world. everybody. Thank you very much for joining me. My name is J.O. This is the Maximize Your Medicare podcast. I'm your host. I'm also the author of Maximize Your Medicare, Qualify for Benefits, Protect Your Health, and Minimize Your Costs, published by Allworth Press this year, 2020, available on Amazon.com, everywhere else that you can buy a book. The official website for the book, www.maximizeyourmedicare.com. Before I get started, Quick reminder, there's the virtual online event, Medicare ABCs. It's October 5th, October 5th, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Registration's required. It's not going to be recorded for public free dissemination after the fact on the YouTube channel. As a result, the spaces are strictly limited. Many people know this. This happens on Zoom and other video cha- video conferencing channels. That's going to be the case here. Once we meet capacity, I'm basically going to have to close the session. So please do that. Go to the website, and there's going to be the right on the front homepage, there's going to be a button where you can register for the virtual online event on October 5th. As always, today is not financial advice, and today I especially need to emphasize this. There are going to be sophisticated financial terminology. There are going to be, there is going to be sophisticated financial terminology being used, and I want to make sure that people don't get the implication that this is financial advice. I'm going to be explaining on inputs on how insurance actually works. And the fact that COVID-19 has changed the way that these insurance products would be priced just as a matter of common sense. And so what I'm going to be doing is explaining that entire process. No, and no, still no script. Okay. First off is there's going to be a, you know, headline here in what's what's new in Medicare world. And it's not really new news. It's been, you know, news for some time or it's been known for some time. But we are coming close to the annual election period, which begins on October 15th, crazy enough. And the fact of the matter is, is that ESRD is going to be handled differently under Medicare in 2021. 
the bottom line is Medicare Advantage has not been widely available to ESRD requiring dialysis patients. That will change in 2021. This is very powerful implications. There are over half a million ESRD patients. And in addition to that, the overwhelming majority have either no coverage on top of original Medicare or they've had to have original Medicare plus a private plan, which still would have resulted in high premiums and high cost sharing. In 2021, there's going to be huge amounts of relief for many households because Medicare Advantage will be available. I guess there's going to be one caveat to that, which is that given that this is going to be the first year that Medicare Advantage is going to be available to ESRD patients, I'm going to be expecting a pretty big variety, a wide wide set of different co-pays and co-insurance, the way that the Medicare Advantage plans will handle dialysis. As a result, I don't think that it's going to be practical for persons just to stick with or just choose any old Medicare Advantage plan and presume that they're going to be handled the same. I find that very, very hard to believe. We'll stay tuned. Most certainly there's going to be additional information, you know, either on video form or here on the podcast or on the Maximize Your Medicare newsletter. That is coming up for sure. So I began my career, professional career, or I guess my second professional career career after receiving my master's, um, you know, my MBA. You know, I traded financial options financial options. So an option in the financial markets is different than an option in everyday life. An option in everyday life, of course, you know, means the idea of choice. I have, you know, option A or option B. In financial markets, options means something quite different. And basically, an option increases or decreases in value when a certain event occurs. And just take, for example, you know, commonly in financial markets, you'll hear of something called like a call option or a put option. A call option increases in value rapidly if you know, a stock reaches a certain price. So let's just call Apple a call option at $430 a share. Well, as Apple increases in value, the call option rapidly increases in value. It's not a linear, you know, payout diagram. It is a, looks like a hockey stick, basically. And so what happens is you pay an amount and then your value increases rapidly. Now, you know, why am I talking about, you know, this arcane, you know, uh, financial instrument call an option? Because if you actually just remove the word option and you just heard the description, what did I say? I said, you pay a premium today and if some event occurs, then the value to the buyer increases rapidly. Well, guess what also has that? Insurance has this. For example, extended warranty on your refrigerator, homeowner's insurance, auto insurance, and most dramatically, health insurance. So basically what happens here is, as I said, as some event occurs or is deemed to be more likely to occur, in other words, Apple is now at you know 
let's say it approaches 430, it becomes more likely its value of this option increases enormously. Now, that's not all that would, you know, increase the value of this, you know, financial option, which also increases the value of insurance, right? So in other words, uh, you know, if I, if I, if you go to GH2 Unfiltered, which is my subscription site, and to all of my financial planning clients, I'm explaining, you know, these kinds of payout situations for their own personal life. Meaning, are there situations where your net worth could dramatically increase or dramatically decrease if a certain event were to occur? And in which case, I'm trying to find for my financial planning clients the most efficient way to protect yourself or to benefit from these types of scenarios. And that is basically what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get the best option for a person, best set of financial options for a person given their household circumstance and their net worth. Now that whole complicated you know, situation, that whole complicated description also explains health insurance. Health insurance is that contract that looks like a financial option, meaning you're paying a premium. And if you got sick, you start receiving benefits. You start receiving benefits, and the sicker you get, the more you costs you incur, the bigger the amount of benefits. And health insurance in the United States has no maximum benefit that you can receive. Right, very important under compliant ACA, as well as Medicare, Medicare, meaning Medicare Advantage, as well Medigap, they also increase in value with potentially no maximum benefit allowed. Now, this makes health insurance, you know, very different from your dental insurance. As many people know, you know, you've got a annual maximum benefit, $1,000, $1,500. So you can see its payout is actually very different than health insurance, meaning that people try to wrongly just say lump all insurance together. That's wrong. Because why? Because the payouts are different. Anyway, back to the track. So now we're back to the idea that health insurance is a financial option, much like a call option on Apple stock would be? Well, the reality is, is when people are pricing financial options, the call option on Apple stock, people are really trading a parameter, which is one input, which is not only where the existing price is and stuff like that, but reality is that they're looking for the volatility, meaning that let's just say Apple is at $410 a share, which is pretty close to where it closed on Friday. The reality is, is that people, the financial options traders are looking for, okay, how much in percentage terms is it likely to swing around this new price? Is it going to swing 5%? Is it going to swing around 10%, 20%, 25%? And the reality is, is that most persons are, generally speaking, pricing their financial options 
assuming that it is random. It is random from $410, meaning it has the equal type of probability to be up 3% or down 3%. Okay, so what is very important is let's just say Apple is at 410 again, and now the world has decided that it is much more uncertain, meaning that it is not any tomorrow, it's not going to be up or down 3%, but in fact, it's going to be up or down 20%. Well, under that type of situation, which is much higher volatility, in other words, the outcomes are much more uncertain, which can be in both positive or negative ways, that all else equal, that the price of this financial option will increase. Why? Because of the different number of scenarios that can possibly occur. So much like insurance, let's just take it health insurance. Let's say, for example, you pay $500 a month and that's your premium. And now you have to go for a test. Well, maybe the test is negative, in which case, you know, you don't need any health care at all, in which case, you know, you still have to pay $500. You don't lose, I mean, that $500 is gone, but you're also not receiving any benefit. Let's say the other outcome is you could then have, you know, the worst news that you possibly could hear from, you know, an oncologist, in which case your health care costs could skyrocket, in which case your health insurance contract will pay you a lot of benefits immediately. So in other words, the more uncertain the outcome is, the higher the cost would be for the health insurance, right? For example, uh, let's say you're 25 years old and you're Mr. Perfect or Miss Perfect, you're never sick, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you have no interest in buying $500 a month for insurance. Why? Because the range of outcomes is just so limited. Yeah, I got a cold, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I may have fallen off a bike and broken my ankle. Well, how often is that going to occur? It's just not very probable. And even if it were to occur, the cost is known and quite limited. So, fairly complicated stuff. You can hear it that it doesn't really matter what the actual price of Apple stock is. The volatility, the cost of insurance is dependent on other inputs and the big one there is volatility. And so, you know, for you options geeks out there, you, there's an implied volatility given a particular price. And yes, there are going to be some option geeks that have listened to this podcast, certainly. So anyway, let's go back to how this affects health insurance. Okay. Health insurance now, you can see the health outcomes you know, are now swinging around, you know, with a lot more violence than they were 12 months ago. I think that that's very fair to say, right, which is the pandemic COVID-19 has introduced an uncertainty for many people and the outcomes, the health outcomes for a large amount of the population, you know, is considerably different than it was 12 months ago. Now, I think that that, I don't think there's anything controversial about that type of, those statements there. 
So what happened in the Apple stock situation, right? So now all of a sudden, it we thought that it was only 1%. It could go up or down 1%. But now all of a sudden, we have concluded that the it could go up or down by 20% and not by 1%. Well, in the much the same way, the 30-year-old, the 40-year-old, the 60-year-old, you know, they could have no symptoms. But the fact is they could have been asymptomatic and creating some unseen complications due to COVID-19, things that we don't even know yet, right? That we don't have enough data in order to measure how much better or worse someone's situation, health situation would be. And we also don't have any full, complete answer on whether or not this changes someone's life expectancy. Again, I think that, I don't think that there's anything overwhelmingly controversial about anything that I've said. All I'm saying is that the uncertainty, that the volatility of outcomes, to me, can has only increased. It couldn't have decreased, right? I mean, <laughs> there's no way that over the last 12 months that the 30-year-old's health possible volatility has declined, right? I mean, that's just impossible, right? Because you can see the stories that a 30-year-old could get it and then could actually pass away, let's hope not, but that this could happen or that they struggle and they need to be hospitalized for a long period and then kind of recovered and then be re-hospitalized. Unfortunately, I can report to you that someone in my age division, you know, this has happened, who is not a senior citizen. So, I think that that is fairly clear. And, you know, certainly COVID-19 and in this age of pandemic has certainly increased the volatility. Let's stop here because the next step I'm going to talk about, you know, the fact that if you've been able to connect the dots and follow till now, you're going to hear what my conclusions are going to be. Now, the fact of the matter is that everyone is has a position in this volatility. My position is, in other words, you, you could say that you're immune to volatility. That's wrong, right? For example, what are sources of volatility? Well, the older you get, the more likely you could be sick. And those illnesses could be of, you know, greatly changing or different outcomes, right? So again, you can remember your 25-year-old self. You got sick. You got sick for a couple of hours. You're fine the next day. Fine. However, when you're at you know, 55, 60, now you're sick and, you know, it could be something more serious. In other words, the volatility of outcomes has increased, systematically increased, just due to the fact that, you know, that father time is undefeated. What are other sources of volatility? Well, you could have lost the DNA coin flip. Who are you? You know, and not that I hope this for anyone, but for example, you have autoimmune disease. Uh, you have rheumatoid arthritis, right? In other words, it's not that you, some days you could be totally fine. Other days you could be bedridden and require, you know, substantial amount of healthcare services. In other words, your outcomes just due to the fact of something that you did not do can increase while, you know, can change your outcomes wildly. And then of course there are lifestyle things, you know, I, you know, I go parachute jumping and high sky diving, I guess I should say, you know, that kind of thing. I drink like 
three liters of, you know, Jack Daniels before 9 a.m. I have seven cigars a day. You know, those are, and the thing is that when people normally think about different outcomes, they think about themselves only and their own intentional activity. They don't think about systematic things that they could not necessarily control. People understand DNA. People don't really, what they do is they ignore certain other systemic risk factors, things that can systematically increase the volatility, which increases the value, the theoretic value of insurance to the buyer. It increases the value to the buyer. Okay, this is very, very important, and we're getting closer. We're now slowly getting closer to how COVID-19 and insurance actually interact. Again, I don't think that, you know, anything that I've said here is really controversial. I'm trying to build small building blocks to lead persons so they can understand each bite as we continue to finish this meal. So basically, I've explained, uh, you know, how financial options work when they increase in value and that one of those can be volatility and that volatility can have certain different nature. One, which is, for example, your lifestyle habits, but then there's also systematic volatility, which is, for example, the passing of time when you're getting older um, and then of course, now we have COVID-19. In other words, this systematic is a systematic increase to volatility to everyone, right? In other words, you know, my own, yeah, I practice social distancing, but the reality is, is that, you know, as long as if I'm not living in a cave, then, you know, there is some increased possibility, probability of contracting or, you know, getting COVID-19, you know, much higher probability today than it was a year ago. And again, you know, call me Captain Obvious there. So now we go to the punchline, right? Which is that, okay, since volatility has increased, you know, the reality is, is as the buyer of insurance, what you're actually buying is you're buying protection against an increase in volatility of possible outcomes, right? So example, like if you bought a call option or a put option on Apple stock, and even if the price is at at $410, if all of a sudden you realize that it can swing around by 20% a day and not 1% or 2% a day, you would be actually having to pay more. Why? Because the sellers also know this. They're also observing the same thing, right? And you have a free market, a certain situation where you can, there's going to be a buyer and seller of Apple calls and Apple puts, these options that I just spoke about, right? And in the same way, the fact that you have increased volatility leads me to no other conclusion other than what? That the value of insurance is higher just on volatility alone. And as a result, 
the sellers, the insurance carriers will be either A, raising the price or B, making it harder to buy. There's no other situation that you could possibly assign to it. That is the most logical possibility. The ramifications, the implications, the ripple effects of what I just said at the just before that whoosh are very, very powerful. Let's take a look at its effect on certain matters. Okay? Number one, Medicare. There's Medigap. As as I've said in the past, you know, I've written 200 pages with over 100 footnotes on the topic. Right. The bottom line here is that Medigap by itself is the way to protect against volatility the best. I can't I, I didn't say it's the cheapest. I did not say it's the cheapest. But the reality is, is that it protects against the volatility the most. How does it do this? It does this because the language can never change, period. And number two is when you are first eligible for Medicare, you have unrestricted rights to buy at the best possible price when you turn 65 or when you turn on your Medicare Part B. That's it. L literally, I've now summarized kind of Medigap, right? Is that in this 20 minutes, 25 minutes, going on 30 minutes rapidly, which is that it is you buying back this volatility. In other words, volatility working against you just because of father time, maybe your DNA, maybe you're diabetic, maybe you love Jack Daniels, okay? The reality is, is you can buy Medigap at a, the competitive price and the sellers have no say. You can buy it. They have to accept you, period. Look. Let's just say, for example, you go up to him at 64 and a half years old and said, okay, I've been in the hospital for three months with COVID-19. And, oh, yeah, I love Jack Daniels. And I like to skydive. That's, you know, my top three, you know, those are my top three events over the last past, you know, year. Well, guess what? The sellers, they may not want to sell you back this option or they would want to raise the price. But guess what? Medicare regulations disallow this. They disallow it. Now, that disallowance, in other words, your right to buy Medigap at the most competitive price when you turn 65 or when you, when you activate your Medicare Part B, that option, your right, now the back to the other version of option, which is your right to buy at the lowest possible price does not last forever. And after that window closes, you've got to ask permission. You've got to call up the carriers and you've got to pass medical underwriting. Now, even if you are Mr. Perfect, the reality is, is systematic volatility to everyone has increased. So now you can re remember what I said about Apple stock. Apple stock didn't move, let's say tomorrow it opens at $410. But then all of a sudden people realize, look, they agree that the volatility is not 1% or 2% a day, but it's 20% a day. 
if you want to buy protection of Apple stock, for example, you don't get to buy it at the same price. Now, here's, here's your thing. We don't see that right now visible because what has had to happen is that people, in other words, the Medigap sellers have to apply for rate increases. They have to apply in order to have the right to increase their Medigap rates with the state insurance you know, commissioners. That happens in every state in this country. Yeah. So it's more valuable for the buyer. It's riskier for the seller. And the price hasn't moved. What does that all add up to? Well, a month ago, I told this to, you know, my most favored clients. I told them, if you are considering purchasing something to protect against volatility, don't mess around. Don't mess around. And because why? Because the sellers who know everything, everything that I've just said over the last 40 minutes, the sellers have teams of people looking at this. Teams. I promise you, 100% guarantee, right? They are looking at the math of how this is going to work out right now. I, I'm very, very certain, okay? And so what can you have? You can have the idea that life insurance is going to be more expensive. Of course it is, right? Because now my life expectancy, my, my life expectancy has not increased even if... I've done nothing wrong, right? Let's just say I've not seen a single person, right? Or, and then the only time I've gone out was to go to the grocery store over the last six months. Guess what? Still, my probability of catching COVID-19 is still not lower than a year ago, right? I mean, this is obvious. So as a result, let's say I'm the buyer of life insurance. Well, it's gone up because I'm older, a year older than I was 12 months ago. And not only that, but even if I didn't have any symptoms, even if I don't practice, even if I practice social distancing, the fact is the probability in the world as a whole of me catching COVID-19 and being struck down by it is systematically higher. Systematically higher. The volatility is higher. I'm no longer at 1% to 2% a day because I'm Apple stock. I'm now, my outcomes are swinging around by much more. What does that mean? That means that if I'm trying to buy protection against that type of increase in volatility, the price of my life insurance will be higher. That's it. And the reality is I see no other way around that. I mean, and you can apply this to many types of insurance. In other words, every type of insurance that has your health situation as an input into the discussion can only go in one way, and that is more expensive. So I've stated the case here for more expensive insurance, meaning that you know that I see insurance as being more expensive and you know, in fairly short order. Well, where could I be wrong? Could I be wrong? So the answer is, of course I can be wrong, okay? So let me be, be very, very, very clear, right? I could be totally wrong about the actual outcome. Well, what could be the reasons for that? Why, how could I be wrong? 
Well, let's take a look at health insurance real quick, quickly, right? Because that's going to be different than life insurance. Because under health insurance, what they're really doing is they're assigning a price to the premium based on the usage of health care cost services and the co- and then the cost of those health care services. In other words, the, both the frequency as well as the cost. So while the cost may be higher because, you know, the systematic risk to me catching COVID-19 and incurring health care costs as a result of COVID-19 are notably higher than they were a year ago. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The fact of the matter is that people like me who do not have COVID-19 or don't know about it yet are not going to the doctor for basically any other reason, right? In other words, I'm not going to hang around in my primary care physician's office with other persons with suspected, you know, symptoms that are just, and me not knowing about it. Why would I go to the doctor to sit in the waiting room? And again, this is not, you know, me splitting atoms here. This is just applying my common sense. And the reality is we see this at healthcare systems and you can see it. Go ahead and go on Google. Look at primary care physicians practices struggling or hospital systems declaring bankruptcy. You know, that has happened over here over the last six months. Absolutely has happened. And why? Because elective surgery, elective appointments, everything going to telemedicine, basically what has happened, you know, people don't go to urgent care unless it's actually urgent. And so what you can see is that even though someone may have COVID-19, that person goes and let's just call it one and a half percent of the population, because that's what the numbers by the CDC or what the count seems to look like. Anyway, what the other issue is, is that the rest of the people are just simply not going to the doctor. And so as a result, there's usage. Well, so in the health insurance case, in the health insurance case, I could be wrong, which is that, yeah, there's no question the world is a riskier place from a health care health perspective, right? There's more likelihood of me having COVID-19 now than there was a year ago. That is undisputed. However, the flip side, the countervailing side, the place that I could be wrong is that the usage of health care service has plummeted and that could counterbalance the difference. And I highly suspect so far, so far, you know, that has actually played itself out. So, you know, what you could have is the fact that you will have possibly stable and in certain cases, depending on the situation and what kind of plan, etc., you could have lower premiums. That is possible. Now, that's under non, you know, non-Medicare. Under Medicare, it's going to be nuanced, right? Because the systematic risk is not, is not you know, being, has increased as a whole, but it has affected persons, senior citizens, those above 60, you know, much more disproportionately. So as a result, even though healthcare usage may be down, the fact is the n- amount and the severity for persons who are Medicare eligible is much higher, right? I think that this is, again, undisputed. So it is yet to be seen, right, 
it is yet to be seen here on the health insurance side precisely what's going to happen. Now, the world, also where could I be wrong? Well, the world, the world is highly competitive, as I said, meaning that, you know, let's just say I'm insurance company number one, and I don't like this risk. I don't like this risk because I don't want to be overwhelmed by claims. It could be that, you know, I'm too slow to move, even though I don't like it, because why? I'm trying for commercial reasons to keep market share. Hey, you don't think that happens? Well, guess why Walmart wins on price, you know, at some crazy prices for certain products? They take losses intentionally in order to keep market share. Later, does this happen in every commercial enterprise? You bet it does. What do I think about other types of insurance that require an underwriting? And let's just talk about life insurance and let's talk about long-term care. In both of these instances, again, in the very similar framework, very similar to the, you know, the past, what, 40 minutes, basically what I've said is that the volatility has increased, meaning that father time could win earlier. Or another way of putting it is it could make a situation where, or the timeline of where I cannot take care of myself sooner. Both of these increase the value of life insurance or long-term care insurance, right, for the buyer. What else does that mean? That also means the seller knows this. Of course they know it. Again, you know, these guys are smart, the guys with the fancy pocket protectors, right, and lots of unlimited computing power. They're sitting here thinking through what the probabilities and how much it will cost them. Of course they are. Teams of people are doing this. Teams. The fact of the matter is the systematic risk, the systematic volatility of the situation has increased. The only possible conclusion is, or not the only, the most logical conclusion is higher premiums or tougher underwriting. Those are my two ways of combating this. So optically, what you could do if you're the seller is you keep the pre the premiums the same and just say, hey, look, my premiums are no different from my carrier compared to my competing carrier across the street. That is entirely possible. But behind the scenes, what you can have is higher underwriting standards, meaning tougher questions, greater scrutiny, more refusals. It's one of those, and th th those are all basically the same thing, right? So am I wrong here, right? In other words, I entertained where I could be wrong. The only way I could really be wrong here is that, you know, the lemmings, the lemming effect, which is, again, I'm not a person with the slide rule. I'm not a person with the fancy park protector. I do understand the way that financial options get priced and what are those inputs into the value of financial options. There's no question that volatility is an input. You know, in other words, in Chicago where they trade options exchange, the entire game is the implied volatility of options. The entire thing. You'll hear things like the VIX, et cetera, et cetera. Those are implied probabilities after observing the clearing price of a call option on Apple. You know, they're not projecting what the volatility actually is. 
They're just observing the market price and then working backwards and figuring out what the that implies about what people believe the volatility to be. Well, that has to be higher in life insurance and long-term care insurance after COVID-19. I don't think there's any question about that. So basically the long end, or I guess the, the short strokes after this long multi, you know, faceted type of explanation is that life insurance, long-term care insurance could be optically at the same price, but the underwriting standard could be much, much higher, which means much higher for you to buy. It should be fairly clear to those persons who are interested, who have the original inclination to purchase these types of volatility options. In other words, options to protect your net worth by buying back this volatility. And that's only through insurance. If you got questions, J-A-E at G-H-2Benefits.com. It's going to be in the text on this podcast. I know it's complicated stuff, but you know, and the punchline here to the following is this, right? Is that you would have thought that, oh, well, life insurance is just this and, you know, for final expense and that, and, you know, we just figure out the price and we just click on my, you know, Facebook advertisement and get the price. Yeah, no, that actually isn't really, you know, where the price is derived, right? And why is this important? Why is this important? And to some of you, it's not. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now. Some of you, if I listen to this, said, I don't get it. Well, here's the reason why. And I understand that this could be overkill to some of some people, some of the listening audience. But the reason I went through this explanation to this degree of, you know, complication and going back and forth and trying to re-explain different this concept is because these are the concepts that can always apply irrespective of the financial situation, irrespective of the financial contract. They're all driven by this probability of increased volatility because that changes your perceived price, right? So again, you know, this goes back to my central principle about financial planning. What do you do? Follow the cash flow. Follow the cash flow. And price is that first cash flow, right? In other words, the amount of money you have to pull out for, out of your wallet or your bank account in order to purchase insurance, that's a cash flow. So that's a component here. And then the question is, what can you get, right? And that is following the cash flow. Well, in this instance, what I'm saying is, is that the world has now changed. The, the world's now changed compared to a year ago, right? And, and again, this is not me splitting atoms, right? This is me being Captain Obvious. The world has changed. And since I understand the way that financial contracts get priced, it is also not splitting atoms to what the outcome will logically be. It is not. It's not hocus pocus. There's only one framework by which these options are priced. Now, 
the interest rates, the volatility, the theta, the gamma, you know, all these complicated, you know, Greek Greek terms, are they going to be handled differently under the different options? Yes, they are. Yes, volatility curve, volatility smile. Yes, now, yes, options traders. I know what that stuff is, right? But from a layperson's view, what you need to know is the world is changing, and the world can continue to change what I detest. Detest is a pretty strong word. I've got other, you know, four-letter words about it. What I don't like about the way that financial products are handed to you, described to you, is by going and telling you the shiny bullet points. It does you no good when the world changes because that means the bullet points change. The bullet points change because the price changed. And to make it worse, and, you know, there's a reason that I've talked for, what, what is it, 45 minutes in a row with no script, right? No script. Is the fact that the other person's trying to explain it to you and trying to give you the five bullet points, if they can't tell you about this past 45 minutes, tell me how they're going to be able to adjust when something underlying systematically changes. Tell me. The answer should be clear to you, right? What ends up happening is they've got to wait for the new brochure with the new bullet points for them to tell it to you. That, <laughs> and yes, does that make me an ass? Yeah, yeah, it does, right? It does. I'm not, not going to kid you. Does that make me a snob? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. I'm not going to apologize for that. Why? Because I understand that if, that if the world changes, you're going to want to know how to adjust quickly. Not after the new bullet points show up. By then, it's too late. After the last five minutes, probably nobody wants to give me a five-star review, but do it anyway. Max, please, five-star review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Look, the reason for the last hour is this me flexing in front of you? Maybe you can take it that way, right? But you also can ask yourself, is there any possibility that I went on to this degree, no notes, <laughs> right? No notes and be making it up? Not likely. I'm Jay. This has been the Maximize Your Medicare podcast. Hashtag much more than Medicare. Thanks for listening. Speak with you next time.